3: Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. It is Thursday, February 11th. I'm your host John McEagney, joined as always by Mario Puig. The season is over. Uh, we have crowned a new champion. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if you hadn't paid attention, uh, are the new Super Bowl champions. We're going to get into that just a little bit. We're also going to get into some of the coaching carousel. We're going to Kind of finally get a chance to, to break down uh, the impact on some of these new coaching hires from around the league. Obviously, we're paying a lot of attention to the, the postseason and all that over the last few weeks. And then we are also going to round things out with a dynasty mock draft. We're going to run through two rounds, taking the top 24 dynasty guys for this year's rookie class. So stay tuned for that, of course, as well. But Mario, what did you think of the Super Bowl? Uh, I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't think there was one. Did you at least like have some good food and like chill?
2: Um, again, I don't know what you're talking about with the Super Bowl, but I, I had good food uh, last weekend. I, I uh, uh, you know, just as an unrelated thing, mm, I had mm-hmm. I had some good food last weekend. But uh, yeah, no football games.
3: Okay. All right. Well. I see I see what's going on here. We we say no more, say no more. Let's get no, on. No, I it.
2: mean it was a, it's just an illegitimate game. It's <laughs> I actually turned it off at time I got to uh, when they threw the flag on Tyron Matthew after Tom Brady um, ran after him to, to say whatever he did uh, that he that he needed to apologize for and that Tyron Matthew won't repeat which uh, you know, I I, I don't actually I, I doubt like Brady said anything like a racist or anything but if you know Tyron Matthews history you can guess I think what Tom Brady probably said to him oh yeah uh, that was so offensive but uh anyway it's uh, it's good to see the worst people um, the most like transparently corrupt patently evil people uh, get whatever they want for doing nothing in particular that is the way of the world it's it's the design of every every power structure of any sort of meaning like this is these are the results that the system is built for and the system works perfectly so it's kind of tedious at this point to get too worked up about it but it was an illegitimate game the game was ended by the refs in the first half and of course you got people pointing out for otherwise valid issues with with kansas city valid complaints about kansas city's performance in that game but you still don't make the game legitimate by pointing those errors out. You know, it's like it's the, the fact that uh, that Kansas City's offensive line did poorly and that, uh, you know, whatever, Travis Kelsey like dropped that f- first down pass that kind of made it difficult to come back from. It's like those things, if they were the reason, if they were the sufficient basis to, to hand Kansas City a loss – then you don't have the refs doing what they did in that game. Like it's 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 those refs putting those points on the board, taking that interception away from Matthew, giving a touchdown to the to the Buccaneers, then giving them another touchdown on on the basis of a made up, uh, one or two made up illegal contacts that uh, the Evans one was were pretty egregious. Contact.
3: Yeah, what's that? The the oh, Evans yes. one down the sideline.
2: Yeah. And like at most, uh, the you know, the, the commentators were pointing it out, the like Boomer Esiason or whoever pointed it out. It's like this. This stuff is nonsense. Uh, it's at most. It should have been a couple of legal contacts. But you'll notice that they called defensive pass interferences. And like I don't I don't doubt that these refs are stupid people in some sense or another, but they're not unfamiliar with the rules. They knew what they were doing. There was there was an objective that they had in mind. They put it into motion uh they 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 know perfectly well what is catchable and what isn't and they know that uncatchable balls are 5 yard penalties not spot of the foul penalties and yet they only went with the spot of the foul uh, approach on those throws so um well i guess with the exception of of the uh, interception but like the ball wasn't thrown to the person that they were saying was was uh, interfered with on that play so they otherwise they i'm sure would have called it if they could have but um it's 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 just crooked and there's not really much else to say uh if if the refs didn't put those points on the board, to the Kansas City offensive line doesn't look quite as bad. You know, it's like you, the, you have to it, you have to understand that like when you put when you put a team like that, especially when they're shorthanded the way they were, and you put them in that position, you're going to just make all of their mistakes matter more than for the other team. Like it's it's not a, a good response to say like. Well, the game was still legitimate because Kansas City could have played better. It's like, yeah, they could have, and they still would have lost. That's the point. Like you, the like Tampa Bay could have played worse and still would have won because of the, what the refs arranged. And that at that point is an illegitimate contest. Like Kansas City could have won anyway, but the game is not a, a, a realistic measure of anything. It's just it, it was it was arranged uh, as it was. So I don't know. I, I think that um, I, I think it's. It's 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 kind of like one of those things that like you could say, well, as a better, you should have known that Tampa Bay having the connections that they do. Tom Brady being the person that he is, you should have known that corruption would be an issue in this setting. And it's like true. I mean, it's, it's if you bet on a rigged election in a and, you know, these betting sites, it's like you still get the payout if the if the rigged side wins. I'm not talking about the U.S. election, um, but that's that's true with the with the with the sports betting, too. It's like you don't you don't win after like a ref factor adjustment the winner is the winner and Tom Brady has these things happen for him over and over Mm -hmm. and over and it's probably not a coincidence and some people probably were correct to to make calculations on that fact oh well I had it right (laughs) yeah you had it uh for incidental other correct reasons I think (laughs) if you if you had thrown in the Tom Brady corruption factor you would have probably gotten the spread right too. Mm, yeah like or sorry you had this right right but you would have you would have more specifically been able to be like i'm thinking um i'm thinking tampa by like 22 or whatever yeah yeah
3: bucks alternate line yeah and just really really take down a book um i i'd like to get odds on minus 21 i think like that's (laughs) that's what you would have come up
2: if you had factored in uh the the refs that's where your reasoning would have took you i think
3: i think you're right um you know i I will say that the that the officiating in the first half, especially, was uh, you know something that completely altered the course of the game. I can't disagree with you there, but um, I don't know. I, I did feel like on a play to play basis, the Bucks just kind of. Uh, I know this is a a clean podcast, but the Bucks just kind of kicked the Chiefs' butt the entire game. I thought. Like that.
2: I don't. I mean, that Ronald Jones goal line stop, uh, the interception by Matthew. If those those kinds of things could have mattered, if it weren't for the inter- if the interception being overruled and then it can't, uh, Tampa Bay being handed by the refs two touchdowns from that particular point with like a minute and a half left and a half, that just that just ended the game right there. And if it weren't for that, you know, it's it like Tampa Bay could have still won. Certainly, like they, I guess you could say they probably would have, but like that's one half of football to come back from that sort of point deficit like it's it's it, it practically ended the game and it's like if if Tyron Matthews interception stands and Tampa Bay scores a, a touchdown on that drive then in the next kickoff there's no series of flags to to bring Tampa Bay uh, 60 yards in 15 seconds without any timeouts or whatever oh, that, then
3: yeah that well Andy Reid was uh, was nice in doing that and helping out on that front
2: that's true, but it's it's still the case that like if that if we're if we're not talking about these this illegal contact that they threw on Shavarius Ward against Mike Evans and the interference against Mike Evans and Bashad Breland and then the taunting penalty on Tyron Matthew, that game is maybe uh, three points going into halftime, and instead it it was what like sixteen or whatever. Yeah, I like think so. So that that is. Like we we see games come down to the last drive, the last play, all the time, and those are drives, multiple drives worth of points. Those those are that's a quarter at least of dominant play points wise that the refs just gave the Buccaneers. You know, mm-hmm. it it just made everything else meaningless. There's it's just nothing signal wise there. It's it's just it's just a manufactured outcome for
3: me. I guess I don't know the, the thinking. I guess it, we we finally found the breaking point for for the Chiefs in the sense that um, you know that there was a, a deficit that they could not overcome.
2: Yeah, in that situation, it, it, it's not possible, really. No, nope.
3: um, Tampa's but it, defense was too good.
2: Well, the refs also seemed to understand that you had to make it a two-score question, right? It's like the, the the whole thing about Mahomes never losing when it's a one-score game. The refs made sure that wasn't the particular question. Right. They made it two scores, more than two. Um, so it's it's uh, it, it of course could be just a series of coincidences, but uh, at seven, I don't know. you know, seven times in the is.
3: Super Bowl have those wild coincidences happen now.
2: Yeah, at the very least like Tom Brady talks to these refs and and like lobbies at them and 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 distorts distorts their understanding of what their job is because that's the charitable read. The the, the less charitable read is that they're criminals. And I don't I don't know which is more likely. It could be both too. I don't want to rule that out, but uh, it, it it was a crap game. It was a it was a it was a corrupt a rotten product that is emblematic and appropriate for just kind of like the the scam casino society that we live in. This mafia, uh, organized crime society. It's like these are the sorts of things that you get. You get rigged elections. You get rigged, uh, just industry rigged rigged outcomes left and right. And this this really looks just kind of like uh, machine football or something. I don't know. It's 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 pretty difficult it's pretty difficult to believe that people could be that bad at their jobs. You know, it's, it's, it's at some point,
3: you're the charitable one
2: for assuming
3: they're crooked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that won't go down as one of my favorite Super Bowls. Uh, I will, I will say that. Um, I don't, I don't have too much more to to add on top to, to the stuff that you were saying. Um, Let's go ahead. Let's talk about some coaches. Um, You you just posted a new article up on the site that'll be a nice kind of one-stop shop uh, for anyone that's trying to look into the deeper meanings of uh, these coaching hires from across the league, the the kind of uh, scheme and philosophies that these guys are bringing into their new teams. But you have all 32 teams covered, to be clear. Um, I want to start things out in Detroit. I mean, they've been kind of one of the more highly visible teams this offseason as far as you know the the big Jared Goff trade of course and then of course the the new uh hires as well bringing in Dan Campbell bringing Anthony Lynn um as the offensive coordinator Aaron Glenn as the defensive coordinator I mean I thought that all of that was a little bit surprising I didn't really think that Dan Campbell was was like a hot name on on the coaching search uh I don't know newswire whatever but here he is so Detroit Given what they have as far as draft capital and the, this new staff, uh, how do you grade things for, for them uh, as it stands right now?
2: Well, I'm pretty low on Jared Goff, so I'm not optimistic about that reclamation project. But in terms of just the coaching hires, I think Detroit's basically looking fine. Like it's, not, it's not a case where I look and I get high expectations exactly, but I do think a lot of the sort of football Twitter media sphere freak out about Dan Campbell. And I don't mean like the people who were kind of hamming it up with his, you know, he was saying all that ridiculous stuff about how, uh, our strategy is to, to bite you in the knee and stuff, bite you in the knee, let you punch me in the face. And then I get back up and I bite your other knee or whatever and so on and so on. And that's, uh, you know, like, that's that's crazy person talk, but these people are insane. They're football players, you know. Like the guys like Dan Campbell are, are, are not like your neighbors. Like they, <laughs> they, you don't get to have the the sort of character disposition to be a run blocking tight end in the NFL. You know, just basically being a professional uh, head against the wall basher. Uh, it takes a certain set to, a certain type of person. To want to do that job and do that job effectively. So uh, Dan Campbell speaks the way I think you could reasonably expect someone of his background to speak. But it doesn't really mean anything. Like he's just he just kind of talks that way. A lot of coaches talk that way. A lot of coaches do a lot of insane stuff that people don't hear about. And uh, Campbell's Campbell's just a little more candid, I think, a little less concerned with uh, portraying a, a certain image of himself or at least like he doesn't care about portraying himself uh you know differently than what he is like i, I guess yeah, he, yeah. he kind of soaked up the spotlight there and hammed it up but he it, it's not because he was distorting anything he was just just kind of uh showing you what an earnest version of be- his behavior is like so um he's, he's a guy who yes he's he's a, he was a run blocking tight end in the nfl and with the Saints last four years, he's been a tight ends coach and he talked about how he wants to run the ball. And I saw people before that press conference freaking out because he said, I basically have the philosophy of bill that bill Parcells does. And that was the bill Parcells thing was especially stupid. And and people really showed their historical ignorance on that one, because as much as bill Parcells was, you know, a, a, a fogey hard ass, something or other as a football mind, he was not that much of like an ideologue or anything like he was pretty pragmatic actually you could see in certain areas yeah he was you know run heavy with Curtis Martin and he he really liked to give Martin the ball a lot but particularly in his early Patriots days or at least sorry not the early Patriots but the the, the early 90s with the Patriots, the mid 90s with the Patriots, Drew Bledsoe led the league in pass attempts, I think something like three years in a row, mm-hmm. or two out of three years. And even in the off year, he was still like third or fourth in pass attempts. So he was putting up pass attempt volume that would have led the league even today, and at least one of those seasons. So Bill, the idea that like Bill Par- Campbell citing Bill Parcells as his main influence, uh, meaning that Detroit's going to run the ball all the time, like that's just made up
3: yeah they don't know who bill parcells is then or i don't know yeah
2: it's like it might end up being the case that dan campbell runs the ball a lot but it's not because of anything to do with that bill parcells comment like if he it would be within the bill parcells range of outcomes to lead the league in pass attempts because he's done it already it's just there's nothing to really read there but yeah if you give parcells uh age 37 Vinny Testaverde or Ray Lucas or Jay Fiedler at oh, quarterback yeah, he's, he'll probably try to run the ball a lot even if it's Adrian Morrell who he has at running back but like that's just you know that's the making the most of the situation which is to say pragmatism and um I just heard all I'm of not... those
3: names in NFL Blitz voice
2: oh yeah like, like uh I I know so many stupid 90s late 80s names like it would it would it's already driven me mad, and I think if I, you know, laid it out, it would it would have a, sort of an insanity rune effect. I'm thinking Un- of like Wesley Walls right now. Oh, Wesley Walls, that's that's mainstream, dude.
3: <laughs> no, I'm sorry.
2: You got you to go to the the real underground material. Like I'm <laughs> Ray Lucas was pretty. Strong. Bring me your J Reemersma's or something. <laughs> uh But anyway, where's your
3: stony case at?
2: Okay, I don't know who that is. There we is. go. That,
3: I mean, that, I had to, I had to like hit like the DefCon one button. For, was that a like, quarterback? He like made like one start for the Ravens one time in the in the late nineties.
2: Oh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> the, the Michael Jackson Ravens. Yeah. Um, yes. Nice. That's a good. That was a good time. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, it's 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 just it, so many of these people in the in the emerging analytics sphere of football media are are just instantly triggered by by the vaguest acknowledgement or vaguest expression of fondness for running the ball in any scenario, just absolute fire. They lose it. They lose their minds. It's, it's unbelievable, man. And I mean, it's kind of consistent with their general lack of critical thinking ability and their general indifference toward historical fact. Like they, they just don't really care about the details. And so it's like, yeah, why not just freak out like a, like some sort of animal uh, it, like, just not. I don't even know what you. I don't know. What, I don't know what to describe this particular type of person, but it's it's happening all the time, and I, I hate to watch it. This these people who think that like they're smart and virtuous for ignoring evidence that might contradict the 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 sort of um, dogma that, that that they go in presupposing. And what, wasn't there like a,
3: a, a deduction that they caught some traction earlier this week from the Super Bowl that like. It, Saying that, that Mahomes actually had more time to throw than than Brady and it's like, oh, and they right. didn't think about why. <laughs> well, Ben
2: Baldwin was tweeted something like, you know, Pat Mahomes had three point one seconds from snap to throw, and that no matter how good your offensive line is, you, you can't really do better than that or something like that. It's like sometimes with Ben you gotta do a little unpacking on the psychology and the ideology of of everything that he's going through. That one was pretty simple. I was like, Oh man, you didn't watch it. You don't know what happened. Yep. Yep. <laughs> You're just making this up. You're guessing. Um, so that that one was pretty simple. It's like Ben Ben just made some stuff up and he I'm sure felt silly when once he saw a little bit more of the thing that he was talking about, even though he didn't research it or understand it at all. Um, but, yeah, that that was that was pretty funny. But in any case, like th- all those those were the types of people who were freaking out about Dan Campbell. And that was it was like borderline dishonest the way that they addressed that, because. You have to be a moron, I think, to not understand Campbell uh, as saying that he's just he's just kind of open to whatever. Because he 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 in the same press conference that he talked about how he like wants to run the ball and he was saying like we're going to do uh, uh, musket warfare against the other team, lining up against each other in, in uh, orderly fashion, chopping ourselves and them down until eventually we win. Like he was saying that, and then in the at the same like paragraph, he basically goes, "Oh, and uh, DeAndre Swift, we're going to use him exactly like Alvin Kamara." So, I don't understand what people reconcile how people reconciled that with the idea that Dan Campbell's just going to run the ball, I formation, three tight ends every play. It's like he's he's pretty specifically referring to the Saints offense, the Drew Brees Sean Payton offense, which threw for five thousand yards like five times in ten years, and that's you know if you're gonna, if you're going to get like no one was getting mad about Dan Campbell for saying he was going to run the Sean Payton offense like that wasn't no the narrative the narrative was like Dan Campbell's a bad guy he's going to run uh what what do they think like the wishbone I don't I don't know what they thought he was going to do but then he specifically names Alvin Kamara on the Saints offense and they're just like yeah we're not going to talk about that we're going to we're going to pretend we're mad instead about this the, the heresy that he committed by saying that it's OK to run the ball sometimes like it's just there's just this triggered like, like it's, it's just like a rigged freak out. Uh, machine where it's just like someone pulls the lever which is saying which is like acknowledging that running the ball is, is a viable thing to do and that like you don't necessarily need to throw the ball all the time like any any sentiment toward that effect just like brings out the immediate response squad the the, the rapid response squad of people just screaming on the internet and throwing a fit about how this guy is uh you know try, trying to turn football back like he's trying to he's just a, he's just uh you know, he, he, he'll always punt on fourth down. (laughs) God forbid. This is just, just, just utter trash. Like it's just, at this point it's just propaganda. You know, it's like you prefer throwing the ball, you aesthetically or for whatever ideological reason don't like running the ball. Just state your preference. Stop trying to browbeat everyone else into agreeing with you and stop arguing that anyone who disagrees with you is isn't dumbass. It's like that's there's no basis for that. You're the dumb one. You're the one who keeps being wrong about all the quarterbacks. Like you guys you guys are the ones who would have fell for Timmy Chang and Jason White because all you really know how to do is like just, just valorize uh pass attempt volume really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very stupid, but okay, to try to to try to bring it back a little bit, Dan Campbell, I think, is is basically there to to try to run something like the Saints offense where he's been the tight ends coach and assistant head coach for the past four years. And then he named Alvin Kamara. So I think, I think you can just expect Campbell to, to try to carry that meathead, you know, trench warfare, like kind of ethos and attitude. But in practice, he's just going to try to get the ball to his best players, you know, which I don't know why that isn't a sufficient football ideology yeah that people. seems that like, seems pretty get the fine your best <laughs> players that's the smart thing to do um so if he does that i have no complaints even if he uh sometimes runs the ball on first and 10 or if he uh s- says that uh if he says in a press conference i'd like to run better you know i'm not gonna freak out about it but there's there's a there's a sort of disciplining um there's like a sort of. I don't know what you'd call it. Like there's there's this collection of interests in, in football media who want to discipline and like browbeat anybody who 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 proposes narratives contrary to theirs. And that's at this point what the Dan Campbell freak out is. It's it's just it's conditioning people to behave a certain way because I refuse to believe that people are so dumb as to not understand the guy for what he's saying, which was literally we're going to make DeAndre Swift, Alvin Kamara. <laughs> so uh, that's not the wishbone, you know. The Saints' offense is not the wishbone. We don't need to pretend otherwise. Um, and Aaron Glenn's kind of interesting, and I, I think Aaron Glenn that signing or the that hiring is proof that it it really is going to be a little bit more Bill Parcells than Sean Payton specifically. And Sean Payton was brought up under Parcells too, but the difference is, I don't think they're going to run like that Dennis Allen defense. The Dennis Allen defense was really good for the Saints, but Aaron Glenn is. Parcells' guy. He he went with Bill Parcells all over the place. Uh, Texans aside, like he was with Parcells with the Jets and and then Dallas, after that. And he he was such a good corner. Um, but yeah, I think it's it, you might see them go to more of like a three four or or basically like the modern, um, the current belichickian defenses like the belichick defense is the amoeba stuff that you see in the league that's the logical progression of of the bill parcells defensive principles from like the 90s and the 2000s so i wouldn't be surprised if you see them go away from that uh four three kind of base and go
3: do stuff that's like three three five mm. uh two five whatever stuff like that okay interesting all right so sounds like d- despite some of the uh, like you said the the outcry Initially, Detroit might have might have actually done pretty well for itself as far as, far as this hiring is concerned. It can't be much worse that, than what it was under Patricia. Oh, I will say that much. Um, I think the next one up uh, that we'll get into, uh, Houston. This was this was maybe the most surprising of the of the hires. I mean, like I don't think most people had even heard of David Culley um, outside of you know football circles, and it sounds like he has the utmost respect of like pretty much everywhere he's worked everyone really likes him and and everything but then everyone also you know smashed uh you know if he's the receiving coach for the ravens and the ravens have like what the 31st 32nd you know uh ranked receiving yardage numbers from its wide receivers you know that this is a, a hire that i think universally got panned right out of the gate but um what say you
2: I don't know, man. I mean, I I think there's a lot of political subtext to this one. And frankly, I don't know. I don't know what the responsible uh, speculation would be like. I I think given Jack Easterby's background and, and knowing what just a scoundrel and what a treacherous person he is and, and uh, the level of cynicism that he's capable of. I wouldn't be surprised if he largely hired Cully just to try to. Uh, get Deshaun Watson back by being like, look, I hired an African American coach. You you want to come back now, right? <laughs> and of course, that didn't work. But uh, beyond that, apparently, Cully is a, is a part of like the uh, the, the very overtly Christian uh, club that that like is at the 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 association of Christian athletes or something like that. That Easterby is a figure within, and Collie's a figure within, and Josh McCown, who they interviewed for their offensive co- – or who they brought in as offensive coordinator. It's like they, or Sorry, not not offensive coordinator. Quarterbacks coach or something. They're still keeping Tim Kelly at offensive coordinator who uh, was a guy that Deshaun actually asked for. Um, but Cully beyond like his wide receiver coaching, like I guess to be fair, he's been around a lot of good teams, but it's just – he never gets into a position of meaningful authority with right. any of them. It's like he just keeps bouncing around and I don't – like I don't know what to – assume about him specifically like it's he seems like at the very least a good practice coach like the kind of guy who kind of keeps the culture you know moving in the right direction Keep keeps practice moving keeps keeps guys productive uh, while the head coach deals with schematics and whatever else but I, I don't even if even if you don't really blame him for the Baltimore receivers which I don't I, I blame that more on like the GM and Greg Roman uh, putting the worst players on the field like I, I don't know what you can coach up with with the way they were calling those plays it's like they, they more or less went the way they were supposed to it's just by definition they were bad ideas so i don't really blame them for those receivers or anything but it just it just seems like a cynical hire that it it, it doesn't seem to have much substance behind it, it like at, at best it was like easterby was kind of like he might be good he seems like a good guy and you know maybe that's enough maybe cully will surprise everyone and maybe he'll prove that he should have gotten a job sooner, but it's going to be pretty hard to do that uh, for the worst team in the league, you know, like the, the most, uh, sorry, the most um, mismanaged team in the league. Like they, he's going to have to do it without Watson. And even if they get a good haul for Watson, what reason is there to believe they won't blow those picks? Like there's just, there's nothing there. We don't know what's going to go on with Will Fuller. We don't know if they'll be able to keep Brandon cooks. Uh, We don't know we don't know what their cap fallout's going to look like exactly. It's just brutal. No one, no, no one who has a future in the league is accepting that job, you know? And yeah. so it's like, Cully, it's like maybe this is the best chance that he's going to get, but it's still a doomed chance. Yeah, it's t- and-
3: yeah. That, that's a great way of framing it. Like that, Houston right now is like radioactive. It's just, it's not, it's not good. It's n- like, uh, it almost is analogous to uh to philadelphia in the sense that like whoever comes in next is probably just going to be the sacrificial lamb for the next two three years until like they're they're ready to fire fire the coach and start like start the rebuild in full earnest with with enough draft capital to to really make it happen um yeah i don't
2: uh i don't remember a case like this ever before i think it's going to be a sort of a landmark case study in in team sabotage though <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's not great. So, so Houston, Houston fans, uh, sorry in advance. Um, let's hit one more. Um, let's get into. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Urban Meyer and Jacksonville. I have, I have some thoughts as well, but I'd like to hear yours. Yeah,
2: man, I don't know. It's I'm mostly getting bad vibes from this because Urban Meyer is just some, a some bad of the hires guy.
3: have been head scratch. Like, yeah, the, I think the, the kind of ones that like if you were suspicious as to how Urban would do, would translate to the NFL. This confirms your priors.
2: Yeah, I so I guess I'll say the Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer thing is actually the least of my concerns. I know that like I don't I don't like either of them. They're not, I'm not like defending them exactly. But I think we've seen enough of Urban Meyer in the college level to know that he he's not an I formation guy. He's he's no. he's if anything, he's going to be if he's going to be like a run heavy kind of coach, like the basic fear that people derive from Bevel. And especially Schottenheimer, like if they're going to be a run heavy team, then they're going to be a Chip Kelly run heavy team. Like it's going to be an uptempo spread kind of thing. It's not going to be I formation uh, 1990s Wisconsin offense like Daryl Bevel really traces back to. And it's not going to be like Brian Schottenheimer with the Seahawks because uh, just the Trevor Lawrence selection alone compels them to open up the offense. Like even the even the most run obsessive coach like Pete Carroll. If he had Trevor Lawrence, would open up that offense more because he can just. I know Russell Wilson's great. I'm not saying Lawrence will specifically be as good as Wilson because he probably won't, but in theory, he can do everything. There's no there's no trait that he lacks. It's like you're not going to run an I formation with him because even even the most run obsessive coach is going to be in practice with Lawrence and be like, "Whoa, that was a cool throw that he did. Let's let's see more of that." So Daryl Bevel will not call like a, like a. a a wishbone offense with Lawrence. They're, they're going to open it up. Maybe they run the ball a lot, but they're going to spread it out a bit for sure. I, I just don't think if Meyer was going to make an offense like Bavel and, and Schottenheimer do, then he could have done it at Utah or Florida or Ohio state. And he, he, went spread in all of those cases, you know? So I'm not really worried about that, but I am worried about urban Meyer. I think there's, I mean, he's he's a scoundrel. I don't think there's really much debate to be had about it. Like he's a bad guy. And not just that, but he's kind of a treacherous person. Like he, he's he's the kind of person who knows that he's bad and strategizes accordingly and and just doesn't really feel bad about being underhanded. And for those reasons, that, that makes me think about Bobby Petrino quite a bit. Like mm. uh, and, and you don't even need to specifically, you know, make the leap like you don't need to project Urban Myers. Uh, NFL character and come up with like, you know, maybe he'll, he could be the next Bobby Petrino. It's like, he's kind of already been that at the college level. It's like, he'll pretend that he has a heart condition when he doesn't feel like going to work. So (laughs) if he, if he gets to this job and things get a little difficult, or if some college school, um, you know, gives their current crap coach an $80 million buyout and then offers Meyer a, a really big contract. I could see him just cutting bait after this year, two years or something. Uh, Especially if he gets the team into some sort of trouble, you know, Um, but in terms of what Meyer actually is as a coach It's hard for me to to really figure that out because it's like the results were pretty much automatic in college But that also was largely the result of his recruiting. Yes, exactly. It's so different There's there's no there's no analogous task in the NFL to recruiting in college football. So Meyer just loses Pretty much all of his theoretical advantage with that alone. Yep. So it's possible that he is, in addition to that, uh, a really good, you know, p- like practice coach and schemer and and in game judgment kind of coach. That's possible, but it's not basis of his college results. Like you can be a pretty stupid coach with talent like he has and still ha- had, uh, especially at like Ohio State. Yes, and well, I guess Florida too. Florida it was yeah. pretty. Yeah, that Ford offense was was pretty ridiculous at its peak. Um, so he he might be good. It's just there's no actual evidence of it, or at least there's no evidence that he's good at NFL coaching. It's 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 totally different. Um, but I I hate um, I hate that strength and conditioning coach hire like i think they're actually going to have to reverse that because that that guy's just a racist villain
3: and uh he's the iowa guy that got fired over the summer right? yeah yeah yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. it's like there was a lot bad about those iowa reports including the the ference family but that one guy that i don't even remember his name like he still stood out as like <laughs> like a level worse and then urban meyer uh, apparently was just like that's my guy yeah chris, so, chris doyle uh, yeah, so we'll see. I don't think I think I think Urban. The other thing that, that Urban's gonna get all mad about and he's not gonna like is the fact that is his his, uh, his his like almost mob way of of exerting power in college. Like that's not gonna happen in the NFL. Like these these guys get paid. You don't get to threaten their to take away their tuition or uh, you know. You're not going to be able to 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 um, wield their 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 poverty anxiety as as unpaid, uh, inner city kids or whatever. Like he, he's not gonna he's not gonna have this leverage to to twist their arms and make them uh, submit to him the way that he did in college. And coaches, coaches, other coaches have struggled with that in the NFL too. You know, Big it's like time. It sounds Nick Saban. Like, yeah, like Saban. It, it seems like Chip Kelly didn't really adjust well to to getting lip back from his players. So if you if you are the kind of guy like Urban Meyer is, you're going to alienate people and you're going to alienate players. And he is of the mindset that, like, they are subjects of his, which they don't agree with. And he's just objectively wrong about <laughs> Like they they they're getting paid. And especially if it's like a good player is like you're, you're just going to have to like like, I guess, in you know, that's how Chip Kelly ended up just saying, like, oh, I guess we'll just trade Deshaun Jackson then. You know, it's like that's that's the kind of stuff that I'm worried about with Meyer, um, like alienating players and and running out the good ones, replacing them with passive ones, uh, making the team worse over the over over some stretch of time. I don't know. Um, But yeah, I think they're going to have to just reverse on this strength and conditioning higher because. Um, that's not going to go over well if the players don't race hell about that I'm going to be pretty surprised
3: yeah exactly and and I mean I think you you pretty much nailed the the important points on Meyer and and have it pretty much covered and you know just kind of backing off what or backing up what you said you know I think big-time college football coaches their path to the top is so different than the path to the top in the NFL and it's almost like just two completely different things entirely so, yeah. So he's
2: used to being just like, uh, or, you know, all those coaches are used to being tyrants and and never being questioned. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you got to learn how to work with, you know, this, this, it's like a different kind of system and you need to work with it and cooperate and, and build like a, a culture uh, of, of something vaguely productive and you can't just build it on threats.
3: Nope. And you know, and, and as far as roster building is concerned, you know, the, the best don't like continue to separate themselves from the pack as far as their opportunities are concerned. Like the NFL is, you know, inherently something that introduces, you know, some parity, and uh, obviously Jacksonville gets to benefit from that by getting Trevor Lawrence, um, this year while being the worst team in the league last year, like that's the way the NFL set up. But like, yeah, Urban Meyer is not going to be able to bring in these recruiting classes that only two to three other teams can touch. And then by, you know, the third year of that, you know they are one of the three best teams in the NFL. It's just not how it, how it works at this level. So I just don't understand that. And I think from like a, a makeup standpoint, he's not someone that has ever been used to losing and has yeah. visually been a very sore loser in the past. Yep. I love the Papa John's picture more than maybe anything.
2: Dude, has he lost? He's 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 been like he's triggered himself over what like five losses in ten years or
3: something. Yes, I mean you and I. This was you know this is way pre-pandemic. I think this was like the 2018 season. Um Ohio State goes to Maryland and Maryland's beating Ohio State in the fourth quarter and Urban Meyer starts like uh like uh squatting down on the sideline with the, with his head in his hands like he's like he's having some sort of medical episode because he's losing. <laughs> like that's not going to yeah. that's not going to do well when you're when you're taking on a Jacksonville team that might win 3 games and lose 13
2: yeah he will lose more games in one season as an NFL coach than he probably so we'll, has We'll see in like we'll see what
3: his stomach so. is for this,
2: yeah so I mean Perito people people acted like it was outrageous that his exit, but like we knew he was kind of a scoundrel. if someone is a scoundrel, you have to be prepared for them behaving like a weasel and <laughs> I, this is this is central casting urban Meyer is like the the prototypical lead man for for that particular character and if i think uh, i think the unfortunate reality is that shad khan the owner for the jaguars was largely drawn toward urban meyer and identified with him so much just because he's a bad guy like i think that i think that impresses people like khan people in positions of abusive power like that they see abusive people like meyer and they think like that's awesome how evil that guy is. He's such a, he's so good at being a tyrant. And I think they have like reflexive admiration for that. So I think, I think that's part of what the allure was for Khan. And I think it's going to be, you know, basically the story of why it won't work.
3: Yep. So not particularly looking forward to the urban era and, but I do still hope that uh, above all else, it's not something that still ends up like impacting what trevor lawrence can can be in the nfl because he'll be fine it's just
2: gonna be uh it's he'll be fine it's just um I, i i really think you might just see meyer just quit after this year like if they go eight and eight i can see him just being like
3: that wasn't worth it i'm I'm going home (laughs) yeah forget this okay um let's shift on over to the second portion of the podcast let's do our dynasty mock draft for these for this rookie class so essentially mario and i are going to go back and forth alternating picks one to 24 um just as it would be in a um in your dynasty rookie draft um yeah, uh, that's that's pretty much the extent of it. Um, Mario, would you like to go first or second? I'll go second, John. Okay. All right, leading things off, I am going to start things out with... Oh, it's tough. Ooh, it's tough. Give me Jamar Chase, receiver out of LSU. Uh, I, I think, think that's
2: the right pick. Yeah. Yeah,
3: I think so, too. I mean, the the tape is so dominant. I, I think that I won't be surprised if in a month or two from now people have talked themselves into like just by being bozos or, or whatever that they'll come up with so many different ways to say that Jamar Chase shouldn't be the, the number one guy and like they, they will delete those posts by uh, week week two. Like, uh, I just don't I don't really see of there being season. any legitimate yeah. cases being made against him. He is crazy. I don't know mo- what more you need to know. I mean, the the production's insane. Uh, the age adjusted uh, production, insane. Athleticism looks to be pretty much off the charts. Uh, got the right frame for a wide receiver NFL uh, or uh, wide receiver one in the NFL. I just don't think there's really anything more to add to that. This is kind of a no brainer to me.
2: Yeah, I, I love Chase too. It's it's pretty rare that you see a guy as densely built as him at his age nineteen season. So he was listed at six foot two hundred eight. It wouldn't be that surprising to me if he's like six foot two fifteen or something. And if he runs better than like a four four five, it's it's just blue chip grade all across the board. Uh, he's 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 the real deal. And I, d- I don't know if I don't know if it'll be. Like, I don't think there's any risk of the NFL getting bored with him. I think it'll be a contrarian position in, like, NFL draft media if there are people who are questioning him. Uh, But you're going to see some people put Smith ahead, Devontae Smith ahead, and I I think it's pretty easy to to say why that's wrong. It's just Jamar Chase did Devontae Smith stuff at three years younger, and he's 30 pounds heavier on the same height. So uh, that's – that's why Chase and is he, the also, he
3: also had Justin Jefferson and Terrace Marsh. I mean, like, not that Devontae yeah. Smith didn't have it, but he I mean, he was the only show in town we basically saw what after Justin Waddle Jefferson got hurt.
2: Is, yeah, we already saw what Justin Jefferson is, and Chase was basically better at six months younger and the same off. That doesn't mean he's guaranteed to be as good and or as better or sorry, or better than Justin Jefferson, but uh it it's pretty close. Um as much as I would have liked to have take and chase with the second pick, I'm going to be totally content to take Travis ETN here. And I've mentioned this before going into last year's combine season, or I guess going into January 15th of last year, I was prepared to rank Travis ETN ahead of Jonathan Taylor, who after ETN dropped out, you know, Taylor was my number one guy and it just wasn't a serious question at any point. ETN, Probably will not grade as high for me as a prospect as Taylor ended up because Taylor ran a four three nine forty at uh, two hundred and thirty pounds or whatever, which was pretty close, or it was assumed like that was just pretty close to best case scenario. So I didn't assume that would happen. I, I was trying to imagine the mid range outcomes for for Etn and Taylor, but. Taylor had his best range outcome and ETN could too. I I mean, I guess I'm not going to be exactly surprised if he measures in at like 5.11, 2.08 and then runs a 4.35 or something. That wouldn't be shocking, but it's still unfair to expect that specifically. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't need to do that well to still be uh, easily the best running back in this class to me. And and aside from Taylor, one of the best – in a, I don't know, going back like five years, something like that. Uh, He's the most explosive running back in college football history. And I I saw some people freak out about that when I, when I kind of hinted at that, but it's like talking about Barry Sanders is one year talking about, uh, I don't know, whoever else Reggie Bush. Yeah. It's like, I'm not saying that there weren't other great running backs, but you can't really find anyone else who has 60 rushing touchdowns and 7.2 yards per carry over four. Like, that's just not a thing that's been done. So I'm inclined to assume that Etn really does have a certain something that very few running backs do, and uh particularly given what he showed as a pass catcher this year, I don't think that it's reasonable to fret about his frame or, or you know, say something like he needs to run a four four. If Etn runs better than like a four four eight or something, I think I'm enthusiastically buying, and I kind of expect him to do safely better than that
3: yeah yeah that, that like you said like that's sort of like the cutoff point and we, i think there's plenty of room between that and, and where we can realistically expect him to you know i think he's probably going to run in the low four fours um at worst basically with with a chance of getting into the four threes i mean again like you said the explosiveness was so off the charts i mean those first three years um averaging 7.8 yards per carry over 500 carries like that's just insane and then and the touchdown count too right right.
2: people aren't considering how many of these plays were just no contest broke the defense kind of plays because uh it's like the 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 end zone had to make so many of
3: the tackles on him Mm -hmm. it 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 absolutely did so i mean yeah those could have been longer the the average could have been even crazier and it's not even like he was running behind these like insane offensive lines like that i don't know can you name There's, any like, like Clemson Simpson. offensive linemen that get drafted? It was like that Simpson guard was a third rounder, right? And that's <laughs> basically it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, again, it's not like he was running behind, you know, the Oklahoma or the Alabama offensive line. Like, he, he's doing a lot of the work. And obviously, defenses have to respect Trevor Lawrence. That that He did it before Lawrence, didn't he? Uh, 2017, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so
2: it's uh, – I don't know. I mean, he could still fail, but – yeah, I, I, I don't know what he possibly could have possibly done more to, to convince anyone
3: going in. Exactly. So, yeah, hashtag doubted. So, um, yeah, Travis Etienne uh, goes off the board at two. Um, I will take his teammate, Trevor Lawrence, at three. Um, I, I don't think that in the years that we've been doing the, these type of exercises that we've had a quarterback go like in a dynasty top five, but, um,
2: Kyler, maybe I, I know I had Kyler ranked really high after the draft, but that was only, um, when it was clear that he going to be in, you know, the, 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 the quote unquote air raid. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty rare. To, like Lawrence is pretty easily the best quarterback prospect ever in my opinion.
3: Yeah. It's, it's insane again not not a ton that really needs to be said that hasn't already been said um just you know this this is a dude that I, i've known about since he was like a freshman or sophomore in high school and like it that i follow recruiting everyone knows that but like I, I don't follow it that closely but like even even like the casual recruiting people knew who he was long before he got to clemson and i mean the the guy just was as advertised the second he stepped onto the field. I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, forced out a guy in Kelly Bryant who, who led Clemson to the playoff the year before, just made him transfer, basically. Goes ahead, le- you know, leads Clemson to the national title game. Blows out Alabama as a true freshman with insane numbers. And, you know, he. I thought he was just as good or better and like continue to improve his following two years he just ran into a couple of juggernauts that um had an edge one where the other. Uh, like i don't think anyone was beating lsu i don't know if any team could ever have beaten the the 2019 lsu team and then B- yeah. bama this year not too far behind so or i guess that they, they they ran into ohio state in the in the playoff but i don't pin that loss on lawrence i pin that more on the offensive line blah 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 that that has nothing to do with it with his actual prospect evaluation um yeah i mean he's got the arm he's got like he could run for a lot in the nfl too. like people don't really i I think a lot of people don't realize what an athlete he is he outran the ohio state defense for a 60 yard touchdown in the playoff a couple years ago like that just look at that that's not normal As,
2: as an nfl quarterback prospect trevor lawrence is basically a megatron or lebron james kind of figure and I see people like I understand that Justin Fields is a really interesting quarterback prospect too but people got to understand there is not a question about this Lawrence is the best quarterback in this draft and he's the best quarterback prospect ever and that doesn't that's not to say he's going to be the best quarterback ever because there's there's fluctuations from a prospect's baseline uh you know just circumstantial reasons random chance whatever those things Effect where where the, the the player's career trajectory actually goes in practice but in terms of the, the variables that we can know ahead of time no one has ever graded this well and the next closest player you're talking about is someone like Peyton Manning who maybe maybe Peyton Manning was safely better than Lawrence as a passer I'm not really willing to concede that but even if it's true there's never been a quarterback who's uh both close to Lawrence as a passer and half as good of a runner as he is right like he could he could be if he were a bad passer lawrence could be like an 800 yard rusher in the nfl but he won't need to run quite that much because he is an elite passing prospect too
3: yep so i mean like he he's a guy that um again easy top five di- like rookie dynasty um selection someone that i think i think by our projections is like draftable as a qb1 as i think so yeah so because th- it's he, if
2: i'll he be throws, getting some
3: shares if he throws 32 pass attempts a game,
2: I think that's all you really need to know because he'll probably run, I don't know, like five, six times. He's probably going to average six or seven yards a carry. He's probably going to get a touchdown on bootlegs here and there. So uh, he really has a ton of fantasy upside, and I, th- I think people underestimate how much he might run in the NFL, even though he doesn't even really need uh, that That sort of um, he doesn't need that lane to come through for, 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 at the price people want to pay uh, or p- people have to pay. But um, with the fourth pick, John, I'm going to go with Jalen Waddle. Uh, he's just he's just kind of one of my guys. I, I remember when I f- the first time I saw him at Alabama, I just kind of did that thing where I'm like, oh, that, that guy's insane. I I, I think he's going to be insanely good. And Devontae Smith turned out to have the more illustrious career ending. And I, I don't really mean to argue against – smith over waddle but i prefer waddle because he's listed at this at a couple inches shorter than Devonte smith and a few pounds heavier which i know it's people look at things like 6 175 5 183 that that's barely any difference it's actually a pretty big difference and if waddles faster than smith which i think he is then their density adjusted speed is far apart from each other so Granted, Waddle never took on the volume that Smith did at Alabama, but i'm I'm willing to roll the dice in this case and and think that the NFL projection um, will make Waddle a better pro player than he was a college player, and he was already just an insanely good
3: college player, yeah, yeah. so I mean, the, I, I saw some some stuff careful like what you look at on on twitter and i mean that that goes for anything but like uh, don't go on twitter (laughs) yeah just listen to us please because you know someone was arguing that that, like jalen Waddle is like lesser of a prospect because he he didn't have some sort of arbitrary breakout and it's like well i mean he was insanely productive on a per target per catch however you want to frame it basis and like just because he didn't hit the uh threshold that you wanted because yeah uh, shattered his ankle in like week five or whatever against Tennessee. That that he didn't hit the you know the overall market share threshold that that you think is is that. the key uh, to man draft think about, prospect analysis. Uh, it's just so disingenuous. It's so through. dumb.
2: I hate people, it. People actually believe that stuff, and if they thought through their own logic, uh, they would they would be embarrassed. You know, because because if you if you follow the actual logical reasoning of of that value system, the idea that like if a receiver doesn't get a 35% yardage share on a team, then they're bad. Then what you're saying is every team that has a good receiver by definition has to have only bad ones otherwise. And so because the definition of good is the 35 and there's not 150 to go around, you know, if there is a 35, the other guys cannot be good. So in the case of a place like Alabama or LSU, you can only pick one receiver as being good from that group if any, and if none of them hit that 35, you have to say they're all bad because of this share obsession. It's like just just come on, be be reasonable, have some common sense. Put a higher expectation of share percentage on a receiver the lower their surrounding receiver talent is, you know. If you if you're playing for Alabama, it's okay if you don't get a 30% share because that's insane to expect when the other f- four guys are first round picks too, you know.
3: Yep. And you know, he had t- you know, he had over 20% of the targets in in every game in which he played this year. I, again other than the Tennessee one where he got injured on the, on the opening kickoff. So, I mean, he was carrying a significant volume before the injury and he was destroying it with you know with um the volume that he was getting so yeah. he looks a
2: lot like ty hilton and that's i think i think everything lines up so convincingly that i don't even i don't even care that he you know ty hilton p- people might look at ty hilton and be like oh that's not really shooting for the moon you know he's only like 5 180 like i don't care he's an elite receiver Waddle has all the same traits that made hilton elite it's gonna work
3: yep and uh if, if you want to have some fun um Throw on the 2019 Iron Bowl against Auburn. So Alabama lost that game, but it's so clear that Waddle's the best player on that field that, that had a ton of first-round players on it. Like, just crazy, crazy stuff. So, yeah, love that Waddle pick. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of... Uh, you know, in in NASCAR, you get behind someone to for the draft or whatever, and uh, I, I will do that. I will just go ahead and, and tail you and go Devonte Smith. I, I think that it's clear what the top three receivers in, in this class look like, um, and two of them are off the board already. And I'm not ready to to jump up for for the the next running back and Najee Harris that that type of thing. And I don't think any quarterback is quite uh worthy of a top five in this other than Trevor Lawrence, of course. So I'll just go with Devontae Smith, just kind of make it easy on myself. I don't think there there's um you know, it, I understand the, the concerns about the frame and everything, but man, the guy is just good at football. Like just don't worry yeah. so much about it.
2: Yeah, it's it's one it's it's one thing for people to point out that there are sort of concerning trends with, with respect to Smith's age and Smith's frame like you can point towards certain players that had age and uh, frame similarities and in the article that I wrote about Devontae Smith that it was specifically talking about Paul Richardson and Dee Westbrook but that's a small sample kind of thing too Uh, first of all he's not actually similar to them in terms of production like you can distinguish that uh, Devontae Smith from those two on the basis of production but even if you couldn't two two instances is not a real sample of any kind. Like you can't make scientific uh, conclusions from that unless you're just scientifically reckless. So even if there were, you know, some sort of signal to that, those two instances is not in itself real proof of it. Like if anything, you should probably think like the third instance of this, Sample who comes along is probably just on the basis of chance going to turn out different But I don't think it's on the basis of chance. I think it's on the basis of skill You can see that Devonte Smith is is distinguished from Paul Richardson and D. Westbrook and don't get me wrong I wish there were a good case outcome that I could easily point at but the reason there isn't one is just because we're talking about Like a a small category in the first place, you know, and I think if you really need a current league example of how Devonte Smith can make it work. I think it would actually be Robbie Anderson, who's a little different, but he has the same, Concern with Smith in terms of the skinny frame. And Robbie's even a little bit skinnier yet, maybe like at at worst, uh, he's exactly the same as Smith uh, Smith is exactly the same as Anderson. But Anderson is six, three, like a a real six, three, not a six, one and two eighths kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He is six foot three and he is no heavier than one hundred and eighty five pounds, whereas Devontae's probably going to be like a mid six, one high six, one. And like 180 or something like that. So the reason Robbie Anderson can make it work in his case is because he has a lot of skill, uh, probably not as much as Devante, uh, but he also has the 435 speed with Devante. I don't think it's going to be like speed that he needs. It's just going to be like the fact that he plays receiver better makes up for it but yeah i i took waddle obviously over smith but i would never argue someone taking smith over waddle uh if you if you can get the fifth spot instead of the fourth in a draft order it's almost preferable because you can just kind of like spare yourself the anxiety of having to choose just 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 take either of them and and they're both about as good as you could realistically hope for yep step three profit yep so um, I'll hope to profit as well with my sixth overall pick here. I'm going to go with Terrace Marshall from LSU. It's, it's a pretty simple case for, for Marshall for me. Like I don't, I don't think you really need to dive into the specifics with him to see that there's something good going on there. It's like he's probably not as good as Chase or Justin Jefferson because they both seem insanely good. And yet what does that mean about Marshall then if he produced pretty much on their level – Uh, in the same team like it it's possible that those two are great and Marshall is not good but there's not really much objective reason to suspect that the the objective indicators are that Marshall is very good because he both was explosive and and basically above team baseline before this year and then this year he took on a huge volume burden and, and a much worse offense and yet his his per target numbers really didn't fall off at all even though the LSU offense fell off pretty violently aside from that uh so basically with Marshall you know 6'3 200 he's still very young he'll probably test well because he was a five-star recruit I think he might be what people wanted Denzel Mims to be uh, as far as like the 6'3 sideline burner type who who can make big plays on the sideline and downfield like I think Marshall's a more blue chip version of
3: that premise yeah no I I like that call a lot yeah because there was a lot of Mim's optimism and I always felt like it was like well intentioned but ill founded. Um and, and I think Marshall could be the, the the actual expression of that of that hope of, you know, someone that, that can be that big uh down the sideline type of guy. And yeah, the production from especially from the age, awesome. I know I knew that he was uh, five-star recruit he was a bigger recruit than, than his teammate jamar chase was um yeah was unbelievable as far as the touchdown production goes so i mean yeah I, I got no quibbles uh with going terrace marshall there um yeah that yeah i think that he'll be it doesn't seem like he's a popular first round mock guy but i think that you know he he'll be one of those guys that the people go like doe if, if uh if like two or three other receivers are taken ahead of him. Yeah, you know, that they, they will regret that type of deal. Yeah, I agree. Um, but
2: yeah, John, you're up at the seventh pick.
3: Uh, All right, the receivers
2: are depleted a bit. Where are you going?
3: Uh, yeah, we're, we'll go some chalk here. This is a this is a pretty cool dude. Someone that I haven't really seen the likes of him too too much. Uh, Kyle Pitts out of Florida. So the the first tight end off the board. Uh, just he really caught my eye when he was a sophomore. Um, I, I think it was that that. um that game against Miami to open the season a couple of years back. And is like, this guy, this guy seems like too tall to be a receiver, but like too fast to be a tight end. I'm not really sure what's going on. Brevin Jordan was playing in that game too, actually. Um, and then he, Pitts was destroying my Georgia Bulldogs, uh, later on in, in that October. Um, and then like this, okay, this guy is like officially like really, really different. And then, you know, this year comes about, um, we are able to see what a fully uh fledged Dan Mullen system looks like that has a fifth year senior at quarterback so that I mean the, everything was set up perfectly for Pitts to to have this kind of year but like everything was also drawn up in a way to to maximize him and he answered the bell at every turn, like he he was just so insanely productive on a per target basis, especially by position, um, just kind of like a cheat code. Uh, you watch the old miss game from from him at the start of this season and you 're just like blown away by his ability to either go up and get the ball over you or just uh you know if you if you get it to him down the seam, he can run away from a defense he has that level of speed and you know a six six two hundred forty pound frame. This is different, so I mean, you're not going to expect him to play the traditional tight end role in the NFL, so there there is understandably some question about what his exact role looks like. If whether he's like a Marcus Colston or something with, with like a like a souped up Marcus Colston, maybe that that's the right comp. I'm not I'm not totally sure. But whatever it is, I believe in Kyle Pitts. he's super young. He's going to be special. Um, I, I don't think that he's one of these tight end pro- projects, uh, freak athlete guys. Like, I don't know, maybe like a, it's different different aesthetically, like a Evan Ingram, workout warrior, but like not great at football. I think like Kyle Pitts like is legitimately great at football and a freak athlete on, on top of it. So I love Kyle Pitts.
2: Yeah, so Pitts is really interesting. He he only was more or less at the the team baseline the last two years as a pass catcher. But A, he was slightly above it. And B, the age adjustment gives him a total green light because he was at or slightly above that Florida baseline in in a leading volume contribution, moreover. And all the guys he was competing against were three to four years older than him. So Kyle Pitts just turned 20 in the fall. Van Jefferson's going to be 25 this summer. Freddie Swain's going to be thir- uh, 23 this summer. Kadarius T- Tony's going to be 23 this fall. And uh, so I guess two and a half, three years. Uh, Trevon Grimes, I think, is 23 right now. So those guys are all two to three years or more older than him. And they still didn't outproduce him. And, you know, we, we still got to get the workout numbers on Pitts. But as long as his athletic testing is average or better for his size. I think the production gives a, a glimpse of, of a skill set that is pretty clearly headed toward NFL stardom. And I normally hate tight ends and as dynasty picks. Like I was very much anti Noah Fant and, and I kind of still am. Kyle Pitts is a, is a totally different case. You're going to see people struggle to distinguish him coherently from guys like Fant. But it's a totally different game with Pitts. So I like that pick there. Um, John, at eight, I'm going to take Justin Fields and I'm I'm generally a little critical of Justin Fields compared to his certainly his super fans. But I think the basic deal with him is he's probably going to be a slightly faster and stronger armed version of Marcus Mariota, who I like, but who I think had pretty clear imitation uh, limitations in hindsight, which specifically is is uh, about his. Inability to kind of anticipate openings in a defense like Marcus Mariota was a a totally flawless uh, just Insane volume producer at Oregon because Chip Kelly kind of made it simple for him It was like a it was sort of like a flow chart offense It's like you get the snap you do the read on the you know the run pass option It's like you have a simple yes-no process if it's no you go to the next read if it's no you go to the next thing after that but what there wasn't with Mariota was was like uh, the Deshaun Watson kind of uh, just ability to see the future, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that feels lacks that ability because you see him make amazing throws like accuracy, arm strength, athleticism like Mariota. It's just it's all blue chip like he, he's, he's going to be really good as far as that goes, which is enough for me to buy in in fantasy because he's going to run quite a bit and very well. And that's that that rushing production loophole is going to make him a good fantasy quarterback, even if he's not a good um, real life quarterback. But if he is a good real life quarterback, it's because he had a coach who an offensive coordinator who I guess like the best case scenario would have been Brian Dable. But obviously he's staying in Buffalo. But if if Justin Fields were in a Brian Dable offense, I would say 100 percent he's going off. Like the Brian Dable offense gives Josh Allen that kind of like flow chart system. So where his his judgment doesn't come into play really all that much unless a play breaks. And you see Justin Fields a lot of the times at Ohio State. Like he he looks – like people have said, he looks at his first read and then he doesn't know what to do if it's not there. It's like it's not even quite that to me. I feel like he's, he's going through his reads well enough. It's just that he needs a guy to be obviously open before he'll know to pull the trigger. And you're not going to have – nearly as many obvious openings in the NFL and with Mariota that resulted in him kind of like holding onto the ball, taking a bunch of hits making throws that just weren't that weren't as good as you would expect for a guy as accurate as him and with the arm strength that he had and and the way he produced at Oregon. So I see some of those same risks. It's just that I I'm willing to buy in because I, I am a Mariota truther in the sense that like, I think he just needed a certain kind of offense and I I think it could have gone better Than it did. Like if 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 Mariota ever ended up with Chip Kelly, I think we're we're living in a totally different timeline right now. Basically, Uh, yeah.
3: yeah. I I like that comp. Um, I I think that um, yeah. The similar concerns, and I think people want to. Almost like for forget how good Mariota was at Oregon and, and coming out of college. <laughs> he was flawless. Yes, man. Like he was, he was crazy good. Um, so yeah, the Fields. If he ends in the right place and and you know you, you just kind of alluded to, um, you know, the landing in the right spot. Here's a little extra connection. You know, like it, he could be in play at four. It seems like the mo- the consensus has Zach Wilson going two to the Jets, at least right now. So maybe Fields. At four, to the Falcons, Arthur Smith. Hmm?
2: That would be great. I mean, hmm. Atlanta should try to trade up
3: to two. He's a local guy opinion. too. I mean, he's from Kennesaw. Yeah.
2: So, so I, I actually think Fields will go ahead of Wilson, but that's a whole. That's a the quarterback subject is a big one. We could talk about that for a long time. But yeah, my my basic deal with Zach Wilson is I think he's going to measure with the same frame as Derek Carr, and I think some of the more meat headed old guard coaches are going to be like, oh, I, th- I thought he would be 6'3", 225. Um, and he's going to be more like 6'2", 215 or something, which I think will spook some people away. But in any case, yeah, I, with Fields, I, I think it's just, you know, he's going to run like a four three eight or something like that. And he's he's going to look great in, in um, the pro day setting. I, I think he goes second among quarterbacks,
3: and and I think that's the way it should be. Okay. I mean, j- just like in high school, Lawrence won, Fields two um let's go or I'm up next I'll dip back into the running back well I'll go Najee Harris um just you know uh blue chip pedigree uh interesting frame uh I think he could be at worst like a Leonard Fournette or something um very good pass catcher yeah he is I mean uh you know 36 catch it or I'm sorry 27 catches on 36 targets a year ago for for 304 and seven touchdowns caught 43 passes this past year on 57 um, targets had four touchdowns as well yeah it, it's just like he has a great feel for the game he he has good vision um, really you know sturdy frame again like a 230 pound guy I, I wonder if he'll cut a little bit of weight to, to run a little bit faster at the Alabama pro day I wouldn't mind that necessarily he, he doesn't look like the fastest guy in the world sometimes he's not going to have to be necessarily um but wouldn't hurt uh either if he was more like 225 i guess but uh nitpicking um but i, I do just feel like he's the next guy up fr- from this from this group as far as running backs are concerned uh you know this is What only the second running back off the board for us through through 10 or nine picks. So
2: a lot of people actually have Harris as their top overall dynasty prospect this year. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, more people yet have him as at least their number one running back over ETN. So I think we're definitely lower on him than most. But, yeah, I don't mean to sound like a critic. Exactly. I think it's just that he's people are looking at, you know, big Alabama running back projected first round. uh, Really good numbers. Maybe that's another Derrick Henry. And you gotta let that kind of stuff go. Like he isn't that. His his best case outcome, in my opinion, was Lavian Bell. And that one I am kind of walking back a bit because he measured in at 6'2, 235. Lavian Bell was 6'1, 235. And I know that seems like a petty distinction to care about, but I'm sorry I do because I, I think that getting over six foot one and a half at running back is just not good. Unless you can push for something like two hundred and fifty, like Derrick Henry does, it's like by being two hundred and fifty pounds, Derrick Henry still establishes a strong anchor uh, sort of physics with with his body. But if you're six two, two 235, it's like you're you're a big person, of course. Like I, obviously Harris is a is a, a real hoss, but <laughs> you don't want to be that l- narrowly built. You know, you want to be lower to the ground and wider, so that when people come flying at you and hit you. They just kind of slide over you uh, like water off of a duck. You know, you don't want to you don't want to take a direct hit. And I do worry about Harris taking direct hits. I think his I think his objective athletic comparison and like the closest comparison to him in terms of kind of production and skill set and athleticism is actually Ryan Nall. But I think it's just like that's not me saying that I think Harris is bad. I just think like that's the closest thing to it. And he's going to be something a little bit different yet probably because he's faster than null and quicker than null and can jump higher than null And maybe that distinction is enough to make Harris a, a successful NFL starting running back. Like he's, he's kind of establishing the first precedent for someone like himself. So it could go any way really. Um, so yeah, I, d- I really don't mean any sort of insult when I compare him to null. It's like, if anything, I'm kind of being like a null truther that like, if he was just a little bit faster, he could have been good, you know, and Harris, I think will kind of be um the, 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 the case
3: study there the, was that the, hypo- that was the hypothesis. payoff that was the payoff yeah, so, for the podcast it's the <laughs> yes, yes, but
2: the way he should be used in the nfl is basically like alvin kamara like he's a totally different aesthetic you know obviously but he's so good as a pass catcher and getting him more work as a pass catcher would be a way to mitigate whatever frame liability that he has because you're not taking as many direct hits in the middle of the field and i, I think that could be a, w- a way to both make him productive and give him better longevity there we go All right. What you got next to pick? I'm going to go with I think there's a pretty big gap between Najee Harris and Kylan Hill, but Kylan Hill is my next running back on the board. I'm going to take him. Um, Talked about him in previous podcasts. I think he's basically, uh, you know, pending workout numbers. I think he's maybe something like Miles Sanders, like not a not a star talent, but someone who is capable of pretty explosive, uh, you know, small sample explosiveness with a good overall longer sample and uh, you know some some upside like there's some explosiveness there some pass catching upside so uh, if he lands in a good spot he, he could be uh, as good or better than hair. Uh, even if harris is the better real life player
3: okay yeah i do do like kylan hill a a fair bit yeah he showed that he could catch the ball that this year in a very limited sample i think that was like the one kind of question uh left for him didn't really hear a ton about him at at the senior bowl but i'm not gonna you know overweigh what that's worth who care yeah exactly kylan hill was a beast of a runner in in the 2019 season ton of volume good production you know behind a Miss state offensive line it was good um you know not, not bereft of talent but still you know running up against sec west defenses it's hard to have like gaudy uh, per carry numbers but he was still very solid so i do like kylan hill there um for me next i will i'm gonna go back to the receiver well Um, I think that this is kind of an interesting inflection point because I I think a a lot of people, well, I guess Terrace Marshall really, really was, but, but, you know, who do you have rounding out the top five for you? Ooh, this is tough. Uh, I will go Rashad Bateman. I will go Rashad Bateman. Um, I love the physicality i love the size i love the the instant production that he provided uh during his time at minnesota um i don't think that he had great quarterback play th- there necessarily or, or great system to kind of like uh prop up his numbers uh you know playing a, a cr- opposite tyler johnson that was a ex- totally explosive um Minnesota offense in 2019. Bateman was good um, this past year as well. Uh, obviously, Big Ten had like a very short um, season, everything like that, but you know, still, uh, you know, it, the production, the efficiency wasn't as good as it was. Uh, as a sophomore in 2019, but I think that there were some, some mitigating factors there. So I'm I'm not going to hold that too far against him. And it was only a five game sample as well. And he was yeah. still doing over double digit targets um, per game. Minnesota ran the crap out of the ball uh, this year with Mo Ibrahim. So that seemed to be a little bit more of the direction that offense wanted to go anyway. Um, but yeah, Bottom line, six two two ten. That's a guy you get on the outside. He, I think he has a little bit more athleticism than maybe you would think a Minnesota receiver would have. So, yeah, I I like Bateman. Um, It's really tough. Like this next tier of receivers, I like them all. Um, I'm sure that I'll get sniped on one or two of these here in in a minute. But um, if I had to just kind of like close my eyes and, and picture. Of that group, one guy really, really breaking out, I think it would be Bateman. So I, I, that was the tiebreaker for me.
2: Yeah. Some people are very high on Bateman and it's all for good reasons. I mean, he production wise, he couldn't really have done much more. We're just waiting to see what kind of an athlete he is specifically. It's like, we know he's better than Tyler Johnson. Uh, but Tyler Johnson was penalized quite a bit for that. So, um, that's the only reason I really put a guy like Marshall ahead of him is just because it's like, you know, the league is generally, nicer to uh the big school guys than they are the smaller school ones but bateman could not have done more in the meantime to help his case he he was he was dominant like you said uh you taking bateman is is giving me a little bit more um anxiety about the receiver supply so i was thinking running back but now i'm going to go with a receiver pivot and this is based slightly on recent events uh, I'm going with Diami Brown oh, from God. North Carolina, and this is interesting. He was listed at six foot one eighty five, and that the, his frame was something I always noticed immediately when looking at his tape. Is that I noticed that that's a guy who looks different than most receivers, and and being six foot one eighty five is not unique. So you know, I was like, what the hell is unique about him then? Why does he look so different? And I think it was basically like he's he's just got long limbs that that could use some filling out, especially if he's going to be going over the middle at all in the NFL. And what do you know? The other day I saw Vu found this, uh, I guess it was probably Instagram or something, uh, post by Diami Brown showing himself on a scale. And it was, I can't remember specifically, it was like 195 or 197 or something, mm-hmm. which is, you know, 10 to 12 pounds heavier than the 185 that he was listed at at North Carolina. And there's a couple things that that means. One is that like, we know he could have added more weight. Like he's already done it. He he. The question of whether he can bulk up is not a question anymore. And we also know that that means there's less pressure on his workout numbers now because at six foot one eighty five, you're gonna need to run something like a four four flat or better. Whereas at six foot one ninety seven, if Diami Brown runs a four 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 or a four four five, that still works because the extra weight is capital too. You know. So there is a risk that he lost some of the speed. By adding that weight, but we're going to find out still either way at the combo or, you know, his pro day setting, whatever. And uh, it, it basically just means like he doesn't need to specifically be as fast as Will Fuller to be successful in the NFL, which is generally how fast you need to be to be good at six foot 185 as a starter. But there's a lot. Wider range of athleticism. That's acceptable for a six foot one ninety five or one ninety seven receiver and his production was great Otherwise, so I, I think there's a reason to move Diami brown up a little from my prior rankings
3: Yeah, I, I like that call. Yeah, I've been kind of thinking about him as a as like a fringe top five uh, Receiver for this class. I, I guess he is what our fifth fifth receiver off the board um, In this little exercise um, So I like that um all right, now we're moving on to the second round. We'll, we'll run th- through these a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, I'll lead things off. I guess the the running, or I'm sorry, the receiver inflation kind of pushed uh, or pushed some of these uh, running backs into value territory. I'll lead off round two with Kenneth Gainwell um, out of Memphis. Like him a lot um i just wrote kenneth memphis into my little spreadsheet um <laughs> that's his name for now on. yep that's kenneth that's memphis. it um cra- crazy production um and in, in his one real year to to be the guy at memphis didn't play this past year maybe that gets held against him maybe it doesn't but i'm hoping that it does and hopefully he still ends up being a, a day 2 pick i think his testing will, will confirm that he's a day 2 guy um elite pass catching numbers kind of just unprecedented stuff as far as his pass catching work was concerned that year and and a really strong rusher as well um you know kept antonio gibson out at receiver because he was so good at running so um i think there's so much to like about kenneth, kenneth gainwells game and i'm i'm kind of like ready for him to like reenter the fold of, of the discourse and get um, yes. a little bit buzzier it feels like it, the, it's too quiet on the Kenneth Gainwell front
2: they're forgetting about him they shouldn't do that Fools. so yeah that's a good pick you got Jamar Chase Kenneth Gainwell on, on your one team there uh, my Travis Etn team probably could use a you know receiver pick here but I in a real league we're probably going in a third round and in that scenario I'm probably going to try to lean on this receiver depth in the third round rather than take someone here as much as they there's the problem is there's too many good options and I don't know how to pick them whereas when I look at running back I'm like chuba Hubbard's the last one for a while for me. so I'm gonna take chuba Hubbard even though I took etn in the first round with this team. Um, the basic issue is it's like I think Hubbard's gonna be a 511 or six foot something like 208 to 215 and I think there's reason to expect a four four five forty or better. And granted, I think he could be a little sharper with a skill set and stuff. Like he, he doesn't have great balance. I'm not really convinced that he's like a great anchor runner or anything. But if you're six foot two fifteen and you run a four four or four four five and you've got a two thousand yard season to your name as as a you know third year player in the Big Twelve, that's one of those things where I'm inclined to be generous. You know, it's like guys as fast and productive as him don't happen that much. Uh, if he fails. I, I feel like it was still worth the shot, so I'm going to take Chuba Hubbard here and hope that his you know big play speed translates to the NFL.
3: Okay, yeah, I, I like that. Um, yeah, w- at his best, he w- he really was a, a total stud. I think this this year just didn't go as well as anyone would have expected or, or hoped. But um, I think he's Ryan Matthews or something like that. I like I like that comp a lot. And Ryan Matthews had, had a solid, productive career there for a little while, so I, I like that. Just got
2: hurt a lot. Good player mm-hmm. though.
3: Um, let's go, this is a tough one. Um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, uh, getting too excited by Instagram workout stuff too. Um, but I'll go Rondale Moore. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, the, like sometimes I just need to be reminded, of, like, I, like in my mind, when I think of Rondale Moore, I think like, you know, crazy athlete, like, w- uh, like workout warrior type of guy. Um, yeah. that that's true. But like when you like physically. See him jump and, and do a forty-two inch vertical leap. It's like okay, like I, I need to reevaluate what exactly I'm, I'm thinking when when I when I think of Rondale. Like that that's just that's something else. Um, just a crazy productive player from the jump at, at Purdue. Uh, took on an insane volume as a true freshman. Um, I think it's fair to uh, knock the lack of production slash the injuries over the you know the this the injuries that knocked him out in 2019 basically washed his whole season and and this year wasn't exactly uh great either so i do have some some concerns about the durability like is he too like strong and explosive for his own good to where like he's just gonna constantly have these like uh the doug uh, martin problem mm -hmm. so that i i i hope that he doesn't but um yeah i just think i'll bet on the upside with him i i I can totally understand poking holes in the production profile and it's not like he was like the craziest per target receiver either um he just had a ton of volume so like don't let like your college football dfs brain uh, this this is me like reminding myself uh uh you know like kind of override what what the actual what's actually going on as far as the production is concerned um but yeah, for, for me, I think Rondale has more upside than some of these other receivers in this range. So I'll just swing for the fences a little bit and go go that way.
2: Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, I just I wish he was in a weaker wide receiver class because I, I list him at like wide receiver nine or whatever. And I could understand someone looking at that and thinking like, oh, he hates Rondale more. And it's like, no, I think he's really good. And it <laughs> makes me anxious to rank him this low. I hate doing it. But uh, yeah, there's some people have him ranked as like, you know, a top three overall pick in this class, uh, not overall in the NFL draft, but top three overall dynasty prospect. And I don't really have much to argue with, with those people. Like they, they make good cases for it. It's just, there's a ton of talent and talent is, you know, five ten or higher in most cases, which is the only real thing that I, that I, you know, distinguish him on is like so, some of those guys can clearly start. Whereas more, it's like, we need a little bit of an outlier outcome, but it still looks like he's going to be one, so you know it's it's hard to criticize him even even much earlier than than this fifteenth pick here. So for the sixteenth pick, uh, my previous team took Jalen Waddle in the first. I'd, I'd like to get a little more balance with my roster, but I think the value is still at receiver. So I'm going to go with Amon Ross St. Brown here to pair him with my Waddle first round pick.
3: Okay, out of USC. Excellent. Indeed. Um, okay, so this p- this team, uh, fifth pick, uh, already started things off with Devontae Smith. couple ways I could go um, from here, I think just get more powerful at receiver. Um, I, I will go with Amari Rodgers, and I, I got to say, nice. I got to credit you for, for kind of like turning me back onto him as, as like an actual prospect. I, I just kind of... I don't know why I was so low on him coming into this year. I just I felt like he was like a slot only guy, and that that might still be the case. But I mean, he he is that like densely built guy that you would like once he has the ball in his hands. Like most defensive backs aren't gonna really want a piece of that. Like he's he's a beast um, with the ball in his hands, built like a running back. You know, like short but but well over two hundred pounds. I think like two hundred ten pounds. Um, yeah
2: five nine two ten is chunky
3: yeah indeed and uh you know ha- had an acl going into his junior year uh that spring was able to be on the field by like week two or something so like just unbelievable that that he was able to get back from that and then be as productive as he was those last couple of seasons so even though it took a little bit longer to break out he was competing with some really elite dudes at clemson of course for targets so i'll forgive him for that and uh yeah i'll, I'll go amari Rodgers there
2: Nice. Yeah, that's that's a really good pick. I would have took him if you hadn't. Uh, Now at this point, um, I think I'm with my team that took uh, Terrace Marshall sixth overall in the first round. I'm going to go to running back, try to get some balance. And I'm going to go with Jamar Jefferson here. Uh, He's he's a guy who could go up or down in my rankings pending his combine workouts. And uh, there's. There's a ways. There's a few ways that could go, and I, I can't tell one from the other right now. So in the meantime, I'm just going to lean on the fact that Jamar Jefferson is going to be a 220 poundish sort of running back at 5'10. Really good workhorse frame. Took on big workloads, including from his true freshman year at Oregon State, and he was super productive the whole time. So uh, it's it's not much to say that this guy is. It's not worth that much to say that this guy is definitely better than Ryan Nall and Artavis Pierce, but you know it's like he he definitely is better and by several additional magnitudes. So I'm I'm pretty hopeful that he's no worse than like a fourth round pick, and I think he could make his way up into the second if he tests okay.
3: Okay, that that'd be interesting if he gets into the second. That that would be awesome. He's a very talented player, so I'm with you there. Really interesting, intriguing uh, profile with him. Just doesn't get a, a enough. Pub because he played for Oregon State, but no, I, I like that pick a lot. Um I, I think that yeah, we've reached a point where where running backs are back in that value or in that value category in the receivers. Uh maybe not quite as much of steals right now. So I will I will tail you on that one and I will go with uh Javante Williams out of uh North Carolina. Um yeah, just uh he had a crazy year. But I don't think there's really any way around saying that and um I think that like the frame looks good I, I wonder how athletic he he is exactly um, but yeah 511 220 I'll take it um yeah not not much else to say on that one Yo.
2: I was, I was choosing between Williams and Jefferson at the previous pick, and they're largely the same guy to me. Like they're, they're both in rounds two to four for me, pending the workout numbers. And they're both 220 pound guys. So they're both interesting for their workhorse upside and and it'll probably just be the combine that breaks, or sorry, their workout numbers that, that breaks the tie for me. Uh, A lot of people are really high on Williams. A lot of people have them in like their top five. So uh, we are probably a little bit lower than them, but I I think agree that we're we're pretty optimistic for him uh with that said so with this pick i'm getting uh, my second pick for my justin fields team i believe it is yep. and so i could use a running back or receiver but the running backs are pretty well drained at this point i think i'm looking at receiver or quarterback. Uh, or sorry, I'm looking at receiver as I as I took uh, fields in the first one. I think it's got to be Tylon Wallace that I go with here. Uh, he's a guy who he's only let's say like six foot one ninety or something, and he's got a couple knee injuries in the past couple of years that that might be of some level of concern. But as long as he tests at an average level athletically, I think you have to project him as a viable starter in the NFL because he put a big uh efficiency and big volume numbers as a receiver at Oklahoma State in a way that was better than someone like James Washington who's who's kind of been um Middling as a third round pick. I don't think you could call him a bust exactly, but he hasn't been great either But wallace is clearly better than him in my opinion and clearly better certainly than someone like marcel Aitman or whoever else So I think I think wallace is the best oklahoma state receiver since des probably and uh, I, I like getting him this late I think he would be like a first round pick in a weaker class, which which is you know This this receiver class is just insanely good
3: yes yes it definitely is um so i I like that Tylen wallace pick i think that that kind of ended up being a a nice little steal there yeah um for the for the ninth pick in the second round so this team took Najee in the first um
2: it's getting tough now
3: it it really is i will go with zach wilson um nice uh the quarterback out of byu um dfs legend th- this year um just a, a fun player to watch um i think he's got that arm talent that that you know people are looking for i i, I understand um you know that uh what you were saying earlier about you know m- maybe he checks in with less than that you know ideal frame and maybe that that pushes him back but i still think he's starting in the nfl right away and i think that he can be good um uh, yeah, he had he had stuff to him like after his freshman year that I, that I thought was encouraging, wasn't great in 2019, but was fine. and then um, I think really kind of settled in and found another level. I wonder if he will have a similar kind of like learning curve in the NFL um, where it takes him a couple years for for things to click, but he's got some things that that can kind of smooth over whatever deficiencies that he does have. Um, so I will go with, with Wilson. I think the, I think that he should end up being you know pretty close to a, to a, a stud on Sundays. Yeah, it
2: looks like he can run a bit too. Yes. Uh, so that's that's always helpful. Raises the floor for fantasy. Uh, I'm making a weird pick, or a, at least I think it would be a little bit controversial to a lot of people. Uh, with the 22nd pick overall, uh, my Kylan Hill team with the 10th pick, I'm going to take Anthony Schwartz, who most people are pretty low on, and I even understand why. Schwartz. Schwartz sorry. No, no. Uh, um, but he's 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 one of those guys who I just feel like when you look at his objective speed, which is to say, he's probably like a four two five. Like that's the low range for him is something like a four. If he ran slow slower than Henry Ruggs, it would be an upset, basically. And so he might break John Ross's four two two with a four two one or even a four two flat. And as much as I think he has like kind of an incomplete skill set. When you have speed like that, you only need a little bit of skill to, to be a viable uh, to get to be viable for an NFL rep and it's like we we're trying to get guys who get snaps and get targets and I think that speed is going to get Schwartz on the field even before his skill set is fully developed and I think his skill set might be a little bit underrated because he was above the Auburn baseline this year. Granted, he's he's not doing like the high difficulty downfield targets that Seth Williams was. But he was productive, you know, and he's only going to he's only 20 this last fall. He's only going to be 21 this fall, considering he he might have been a little bit stunted in his development by being at such a track emphasis guy. And since he's abandoned track and now is only focusing on football, I think he, you know, at the very worst is looking at something like, I don't know, Marquise Goodwin kind of career. And I think that. In the meantime, he's probably underrated for his skill and, and therefore like his upside, uh, considering the speed we're talking here. So I'll go with Schwartz to pair him with Kylan Hill.
3: Okay, and then my last pick here for this exercise, the 11th pick of the tw- of the second round. Uh, this team started things off with Rashad Bateman, is going to end up double tapping at um at receiver. I'm going to go Elijah Moore. Um, nice. I I just. I loved how automatic he was the, the last couple of years, and I mean, he got, he got 50 targets as a freshman at, at Ole Miss, you know, that that's a, a, 2018, that's a team that had A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf on it, and he still mm-hmm. got 50 targets, that's pretty good, uh, 36, uh, or caught 36 of those 50 targets, um, really, you know, became automatic this year once Lane Kiffin installed his offense at, at Ole Miss, um, you know, had some talented guys around him, but was Moore was just clearly clearly just so far ahead of the pack Um, as far as those Ole Miss receivers were concerned uh, the production per you know opportunity over 10 yards a target on over 100 targets that's nuts so I know he's a smaller guy but I he's a guy I'm not I don't want to bet against and I I think that he might end up being better than like just what he he might be greater than the sum of his parts basically and and so I'll I'll go with him. Yeah, he was insanely productive. And I I mentioned this
2: in the wide receiver rankings from from a month ago. But if I could be guaranteed he'd go in like the first two rounds, I would move him way up because the only concern with him is whether he gets on the field and he's like a slot receiver build. So if the further he falls, the more you have to worry about him only playing in three wide sets. But if a team takes him in the second round, it pretty much or higher, it means that they are going to give him starter snaps. And if he's getting starter snaps. There's not really any doubt at that point for me because he was his, his production was definitely infallible at Mississippi. So uh, a lot of upside with Moore. I would not fault anyone for taking him even earlier than you did there and definitely like him as, as a 23rd overall pick. John, for 24, the final pick here, uh, my team in the first round took Diami Brown 12th overall. I'm going to do a bit of a reach here, chasing some upside at a position that will become scarce quickly in in this, in this draft, uh, Ramondre Stevenson at running back. And I know that the, the floor is pretty low. We don't really know what he is, but one thing we do know (laughs) that he is, is a huge guy who can take a lot of workload and he caught passes really well at Oklahoma. looks pretty freaking fast for how big he is too. So if this is a guy who was very productive as a runner and a pass catcher at Oklahoma, and therefore has like unique workhorse upside, unique three down upside, In this class, which after him basically just has uh, the only cool guys after that are like five nine, one eighty five, one ninety. You know, the Javian Hawkins is the Jarrett Pattersons. So Stevenson is the last chance at a workhorse. I'll I'll take him here and and hope that his uh, drug tests or whatever is a thing of the past very soon
3: yes yes so uh, yeah stevenson very very intriguing and i, I think you, you have it framed right where like you know some of these other guys are are really fun uh perhaps even more fun than, than ramondre stevenson i think michael carter kind of fits that yeah. bill, but like they're not gonna they're not gonna push for 250 carries in their best range of outcomes the way that right. Stevenson so, possibly could
2: yeah there's upside and
3: uh it's it's the late second why not take a risk amen okay all right well that's gonna round it out uh, for this week's edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast, we, of course, will be back next week breaking down some news and notes from around the league, and we'll come up with something good for, uh, for next week as well. So stay tuned for more, and thanks for listening.